storming out there. There was a little bit of thunder while I was on my way back. It's just like heat thunder and heat lightning type shit. Yeah, I think so. It's raining too. We're supposed to get up to like over 100 degrees this week. Yeah, it's not like 104 or some shit. Thought I left that behind. In motherfucking Montana. And I don't have one to top for you, so Montana. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been hilarious if the opening to your can had been big enough that that had gone inside your can. Yeah, that would have been Kafka-esque. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Were Made. My name is Brett Bloom. I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the badass bitch, Kristen Bloom. <laughs> And we're here to bring you yet another edition of the two, 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 star, 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 da, 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 two star Tuesday. <laughs> so this is our I first, will have a drop one of these days. This is our first attempt um, on a day where Brett's not been at work all day. So, how are you feeling? Um, I, I had everything laid out beautifully to where you would walk in the door, everything was set up, the pizza stuff was ready to rock, so all we had to do was do this, I cooked the dough while you uploaded the Tuesday episode for last week, and we'd get right on the roll. Instead, I had to send Kristen to the store to buy a topping that I forgot, she came back with macadamia nut cookies, so on top of being off all day, and a few in at the start of this, I also have sugar coursing through my <laughs> blood, so... We're going to see how this goes. I have had very little to eat today, and uh, I have been at work all day, so I needed the pick-me-up because I am feeling the crash coming soon. Hell yeah. I love dealing with a hangry wife. (laughs) I am hungry. so hungry. I was like, oh, God. Just pour beer in your belly. It'll be okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And today we're bringing you 2019's film, Fractured. Fractured from 29. I don't know how I wound up saying that ass backwards, but Fractured 2019. Not to be confused with Fracture. The Anthony Hopkins film. <laughs> um, hilariously, we looked at the ratings for this before watching it, and the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes has since gone up one point. Hell yeah, I'd like to think <laughs> that we influenced that decision, despite the fact that this episode has not been released yet. <laughs> um, so this one's. Pushing it uh, a little bit. <laughs> it's a critic score of 61% on Rotten Tomatoes. When we checked the audience score, initially it was 49%. It's now 50%. Hell yeah. Um, and the IMDb is 6.4. So kind of edging on not really quite qualifying, but the audience score is 50%. <laughs> when so. we initially set out, it was kind of a wash because they were almost right you know, around each other. Mm-hmm would have brought the scores down to the low enough percentages if I did my wonky math right. (laughs) Uh, But we did it, and we're counting it. Hell yeah. And it was a fantastic fucking film. I loved it. (laughs) Um, So it was directed by Brad Anderson, who um, has directed a couple of episodes of the TV show Fringe. I know it's not one that you're familiar with. Friends? Fringe. Oh. Um, I was like, I'm familiar with Friends. (laughs) No, um... Man, I'm blanking on his name. It's on your piece of paper. No, uh, there's a <laughs> famous director that I think either created Fringe or also directed Fringe or something. I can't remember. It's an interesting TV show, yeah. and uh, I've never watched all of it, but from what I've seen, a very well done and uh, compelling, attractive TV show. So, worth checking out if you've never seen Fringe. Uh, he also did The Machinist. Nice. 
Uh, is that the one with uh, Christian Bale yeah. where he gets really skinny? Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Brad did both of those, yeah, which he's done quite a bit of stuff, but those were the two that kind of stood out to me. Our writer, I think, is who you're going to be interested in. Alan B. McElroy did pretty much all of the Wrong Turn series, hmm. did Spawn, and did Halloween 4. Hell yeah. So I guess he's... Like uh, the original Halloween 4? Yeah. That's awesome. Dipped his toes in a few... Uh, horror films. Halloween 4 is an interesting one if you are unfamiliar with the canonical 2 uh, the reason why it's not a canonical 3 and then 4 is technically 3 is uh, 3 was Season of the Witch where John Carpenter was completely tone deaf to his own audience and created a Halloween 3 that had nothing to do with Michael Myers. It was about a guy who made Halloween masks and they it pissed off everybody. <laughs> they apparently I guess did a short film version of it I'm assuming before they did the actual movie because I saw he was credited for Halloween 4, and it was a short film, and I was like, oh, so he hasn't actually worked on any yeah. Halloweens. I was like, maybe he just did a fan, like, short film, and then uh, went down later, and he had actually done Halloween 4, so That's apparently, awesome. I'm assuming, they did a short film of it first to kind of That's always a good idea. move. Yeah. Um, We've got one of those on our docket ourselves. I honestly did not think to look up the production companies, because I did this while I was on lunch at work, okay. but um, it's Koji Productions... Crown Island Films and Macari Edelstein. Okay. <laughs> um, distributed by Netflix, so you don't get a budget today. No, no budget. Netflix never, ever shares their budgets. <laughs> do you want to do character names? Well, it went on uh, the Fantastic Fest, it says here, on September 22nd, 2019. So it was a, a, a film festival movie that got picked up by Netflix. Go, you go. Uh, we could do the, the cast, yeah. So we got Sam Worthington. He plays Ray Monroe. And that's the husband. Uh, it's the main character of this movie. Uh, he has done quite a few things yeah. that people will know. I feel like Avatar is really where his career kicked off, so I kind of picked the ones that stood out to me on stuff these people had done, so I'm going with Avatar. He, I don't know his character's name, but he's the main character that is um, crippled from... No, in Avatar. <laughs> crippled from the, I think, knees down or waist down or something. So he's the main character in Avatar as well. Fuck yeah. And then we got Lily Rabe. She played Joanne Monroe, the wife. Mm -hmm. And she is uh, one of the recurring characters in American Horror Story. She's been in, I think, basically every season. So Hell yeah. Played tons of characters. I thought she show. looked familiar. I watched the first three seasons of that. And then we discussed we had a mutual disinterest in once they got in the production. <laughs> I can't remember offhand who she was in the very first season, which is bizarre because the very first season was my favorite. I know... And the one where there were, like, nuns and stuff. She was the very innocent, baby-faced-looking nun character. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, she's one of the recurring characters in American Horror Story, so she's been in basically every season. And then we got Stephen Toblowski as Dr. Berthram. Yeah, he's the medical doctor that treats their daughter. Um, he had also done quite a few things, and um, I think... Probably stuff more famous than this, but it cracked me up because when you go to IMDb, there's usually like the very first movie that's listed, and that's usually um, hypothetically their more po prominent role. Mm -hmm. His was Spaceballs. He was in Spaceballs. He was in Spaceballs. Hell fucking yeah! <laughs> and that cracked me up. So it was like we're doing a nod to that one. <laughs> Do you have another one that he was in? I didn't write anything else down. He's done, oh, he's wow. done a lot of stuff. And then uh, God bless me with this name, uh, Adjo Ando. As Dr. Isaacs, the and, psychiatrist. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, she hadn't really done anything I was familiar with, if I'm remembering right. She had done a lot of voice acting for video games. Hmm. Um, and, like, prominent video games, like, hypothetically, like, The Walking Dead or something like that. Like, yeah. it was, like, stuff you would definitely know. Um, but she hadn't really done any films that I knew, so I didn't write anything down for her. And we got Sean, Shane Dean as Officer Griggs. Yeah, he's the male officer, and he was in just one episode of The X-Files, but that was the only <laughs> thing that he had done that I knew, and Hell I yeah. liked The X-Files. So. And Lauren Cochran as Officer Chilches? Chilches? Sure. Uh, she was the female officer. No fun facts on her, unfortunately. Uh, and then Lucy Capri, who plays Perry Monroe. And that was the daughter in this movie, and again, unfortunately, she had only done a couple of things. She's so. still a little girl. She did fucking brilliant on here. Uh, which I'm kind of surprised, honestly, and props to her that she got cast for this because she had, of everyone, done the very least. Yeah. And uh, I nope. feel like that's... I would hope so. She's like 12. Well, no, but I mean, like, <laughs> she had done, like, maybe six or seven things. She had done, like, next to nothing. And, yeah. Uh, props and kudos and a testament to her acting career for her to have done so little and been next to all these people who have basically long-standing careers that's so. fantastic yeah as always the kids tend to be the best part of these films I, I don't know what it is got a soft spot for the child actors i hate that they have to exist but they tend to kill it on our two-star episodes there was no fun trivia unfortunately that was worth talking about in my opinion so i don't have any fun facts for you which is a bummer because <laughs> the trivia is usually my favorite part oh sad day oh, sad. Um, i was gonna have a whole thing about how uh sometimes there's this trauma response where you rewrite what happened which is more or less what this film's about <laughs> um but i didn't know how to enter that into the google bar and i lost myself for an hour and a half reading about franz kafka so I went in there to be like, I need a succinct definition of Kafka-esque for something that'll come up later. <laughs> and uh, I just started reading all about Kafka. I read this really long letter that he wrote to his father, I believe, called A Letter to My Father. <laughs> Creative name there. Yeah. <laughs> I trust you will uh, lead the conversation on that because I have nothing to say okay. about Kafka. <laughs> uh, quick synopsis, though. So, uh, Ray and his wife Joanne are driving... I think to see her family. I really never was clear if they were leaving the family dinner or going to the yeah, family dinner. Yeah, it was like dinner. they were either going to or coming back from yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah, um, and they've got their daughter in the back seat, and their uh, their daughter has headphones on, so she can't really hear what's going on. And they're basically yelling at each other about the fact that her family doesn't like him, and she's yelling at him. Well, if you tried harder, and blah blah blah, and. Um, we kind of have this heartbreaking moment where he she's like kind of basically implying their marriage is over and he's like you know we could still try and all this and mm -hmm. um they pull off over at a gas station because their daughter needs to use the bathroom and another heartbreaking moment a lot of heavy moments in this movie mm -hmm. where he chooses because he's a recovering alcoholic yeah. uh, by his own definition he chooses to buy a couple of airplane bottles of whiskey mm -hmm. instead of buying his daughter batteries for her game that has died. And immediately following that decision, his daughter falls off of a big concrete drop-off because a stray dog uh, yeah. spooks her and she falls off. And so him and his wife rush their daughter to the hospital. And while he's waiting for them to go get a CAT scan, uh, his wife and daughter 
don't ever come back. Yep, they disappear, and it looks like they're running organs out of the back of the hospital. Yeah. So we have this compelling uh, two-sided story of did his family actually come to the hospital with him? Is he crazy, or is this hospital full of psycho staff members who are running some kind of yeah. um, black market organ operation? <laughs> so... Yeah, the whole movie is kind of a whodunit. <laughs> it's a whodunit that has grabbed me like a whodunit has not in a very long time. Like, it, it, they laid the, as we're going to go into here in a little bit, but they laid the breadcrumbs so beautifully that at every turn, I'm like, I don't know if they're making him look crazy. I don't know if he is crazy. I don't know what the fuck is happening here. Because they balance it so fucking beautifully throughout. Mm hmm and uh, one of the first things that you said whenever this movie uh, started was how immediately we established that the narrator, Ray, well, she's not the quote-unquote narrator, but the person yeah, we're following, you know, main character yeah, is not reliable. Mm -hmm. And it's a theme that we've hit time and time again on this show, is if you want to do horror correctly, I think you can't do it without an unreliable narrator of some sort. Oh, Jesus, I'm going to hit all the burps right as I'm just trying to get to my big point. Like, immediately off the bat, he's hit his head. We've established that he's under the influence of alcohol. Um, he gets drugged and then tries to overpower that drug with an adrenaline shot, like hits himself. Is it an EpiPen? Is that the... I got the wrong thing. Well, I think EpiPens are for allergies. Yeah, then I've um, got the wrong thing. But the fucking adrenaline needle, he mm -hmm. sticks two of those in his body. And it's like, okay, well, we're following his perspective. Now I'm supposed to trust him. <laughs> and, I mean, he does <coughs> fall asleep, I guess, while he's waiting on his wife and daughter to come back. But then he's up the rest of the movie mm -hmm. and, you know, been drugged given himself adrenaline potentially had a concussion and he's had no rest in between all of this so like just the exhaustion of the event too yeah it causes you throughout this film to question whether what he's seeing is real and thus uh is what we are seeing is that real yeah mm -hmm. uh, and that's very important in creating a strong narrative having an unreliable narrator um because like, even in life, right? Like, you've got a story and I've got a story. We both go to the same bar. We see the same bar fight. We could disagree on who started that fight, you know? Uh, we have our own perceptions of the world. And if the perception is further blown out by the drugging, by the concussion, um, then I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, am I making sense? You're just kind of staring at me. I'm listening to you. <laughs> I can stare at you while listening to you. I know, but I was hoping you could help some help. Give me some no, help. No, I have nothing to No help. All right. Well, that was the nightmare box. I'm going to go make my wife some dinner so she can quit looking at me like she's going to cut my dick off before I go to bed tonight. Um, no. No, I agree. Because, yeah, just in the normal day-to-day, -day, that whole... Thing where they sit people in a circle and you whisper a phrase into someone's yeah, ear and you pass game. it. Yeah, you pass it along to the next person. Everybody kind of perceives situations differently. So the point of that game is pretty much always the final message is never what the first message was. Yeah. So regular people not under um, you know strenuous circumstances. Mm -hmm still perceive things differently so then you put someone in these extreme circumstances and your perception of reality is going to quickly become a little skewed um 
I don't have any like extreme instances, but I know I've definitely been tired before and been out of it and felt yeah. weirdly like I was drugged just because I was so tired and like your perception of like things happening around you is very foggy. Yeah, you can feel very sensitive or very detached when you should feel sensitive. Yeah. And I, I like too that this movie makes an effort to put us in his place. So whenever he's drugged by the nurse, like we get these really hazy drifting shots where he's like desperately trying to maintain his focus and he's like digging through the cabinet and the shots are kind of drifting in and out of focus. And then when he goes through um, what we've dubbed the adrenaline sequence, he injects mm -hmm. himself three separate times with uh, adrenaline injections. And there's this crazy, like, hardcore jump cut sequence yeah, of him, like... that was really fucking cool. Yeah, him, like, jerking and twitching all around, like, his heart being like, oh my god, okay, here yeah. we are, you know? <laughs> and then he, like, busts out the window and makes his great escape, and he's still kind of just, like, hobbling around, and everything's just kind of, like... Like, almost like there's too much noise and too much yeah. happening and stuff, so I like that they make an effort to kind of put you in his situation... And now you're staring at me. Yeah, obviously I'm going to give you a taste of your own fucking medicine. Um, I made the fucking notes. I know, so. and you're not helping me at all. <laughs> Man, the fountain sounds nice. <laughs> I think one of the most important things um, for both of us, though, like I, I have mixed feelings on whether or not having an unreliable narrator is the most important thing, I think. From my personal preference, it makes a story more compelling because a lot of the time then we're talking about psychological thrillers versus just a slasher movie where yeah. it's just, oh, there's a bad guy, everybody run. Like, I don't find those type of movies as interesting, so maybe that's a personal mm -hmm. preference thing. Um, I think you and I both and basically anyone would agree, though, um, if you're going to have a concept to a film, it's important to establish whatever that concept is. Yeah. So Brett and I are both constantly irritated when we watch a two-star movie where it's like at the end, oh, it was aliens. Yep. It was a trick. You know, yeah. we've called it on here laying breadcrumbs. Like you have to lay down the breadcrumbs. Come I, on, Hansel yeah. and Gretel. You don't need to make it obvious. Dash them out of your pocket as you're walking by. Make sure that I have to go back and rewatch to put it all together. But don't, you know, lock me in a cellar like that stupid fucking Cloverfield movie and be like oh he's actually a schizophrenic and it'd be like oh not only that but aliens <laughs> um, yeah and I like actually that this movie is pretty subtle about it in my opinion like there are some movies that are too overt and Jax is sniffing his butt behind me um, too overt in their breadcrumbs so you can basically guess what's going to yeah. happen and, and that's the majority of trying to do the right thing and lay the breadcrumbs as you make it way too fucking obvious. Yeah, and with this movie, I was like, oh, this is gonna happen. Just kidding, this is gonna happen. No, wait, 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 this is gonna happen. And it was like such subtle stuff that they kind of like, by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, like that made sense. Yeah. Like they, uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and spoil the ending now. Pretty if, much already yeah. have, yeah. If you haven't watched it, um, pause here and go watch it because it's a fantastic movie. Um, one, two, three. Um, he did it. He killed his family. And uh, <laughs> they have been in the backseat of his car the whole fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, he is not aware, though. He thinks his family is legit kidnapped. And uh, he's just trying to save them. He has snapped his fucking shit. 
Um, but Kills a guy in the process, blows up the hospital, pulls a teenager off of a surgery shoots table. Person. I think that was the doctor he killed, yeah. He shoots a dude in the knee on the way oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but whenever he first... Like, when the situation happens, it is initially an accident. Well, I guess it's all technically really an accident, but... There, there is an actual dog that he's trying to scare yeah. away uh, so his daughter doesn't fall and get hurt. He throws a rock and his daughter slips and falls and he basically lunges after her and falls with her. He does hit his head. He does legit have a head injury. And you see whenever his eyes open he's looking around these um, like rebar yeah. spikes sticking up out of the ground. It's like some sort of construction site yeah. that has not been properly cordoned off. Yeah, and um, like... Literally, because, I mean, they're not terribly far from his face, and the camera's kind of looking through them to him. Mm-hmm. Like, whenever they showed that scene, I was like, oh, man, he's lucky he didn't land there. And I was like, oh, crap, they're going to show his daughter. And she mm-hmm. definitely landed there, and she did not. Um, and it is, like, a tiny moment that never gets brought back up again until the tail end of the movie. His daughter cracked her skull on the way down, and his daughter is already dead, and he's yeah. just in shock from both hitting his head and his daughter laying there dead, that whenever his wife comes, she's screaming at him and hitting him and, mm-hmm. like, uh, trying to get him to, like, react and just... Because uh, he's recently been concussed himself because yeah. he went down with his daughter. Yeah, and I guess just as a reactionary moment, he shoves his wife aside and she... Trips, falls. ...lands on mm-hmm. one of those, those big iron spikes and uh, she is dead dead as well. So it, it's just like a such quick settle moment that comes yeah. back like as a payoff at the end. And I was like, oh, like I legit had a moment where I was like, he's lucky he didn't land there. <laughs> and I did not see that coming. God damn. Yep. <laughs> you There's a band-aid on it. I, I, you've just written down <laughs> random quotes. I have no idea what to do right now. Uh, so I, of... I am part three, where I can bring in my Kafka knowledge. I don't know what to do I with this I don't want to run notes. away with the whole podcast. You've not, um, you've not given me anything to work off of. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to ask me. Um, what are you in for? It's No. <laughs> <What's>... <laughs> no, there's a lot of... That's another thing that the movie does. There's a lot of really subtle comments that other characters make in this movie that kind of like ultimately whenever you find out the conclusion of the movie hint towards what's really happened yeah like he's sitting there i thought for a while he was in a psychiatric ward yeah i didn't realize you know that was like a a, a, i don't know if that was an intentional layer but for a minute i was sitting there going he's not in a hospital hospital at all he's been committed been committed and hasn't realized it yet you know um, which led me to the, the Kafka theory that we'll dive into when we get on to the confusion. But the way that they talk to him in there, they talk to him like step forward inmate, you know? Yeah, and they do, honestly. Um, which comes back to the what are you in for? Um, there's a moment where after he wakes up, well, since he's been waiting on his wife and his daughter this whole time, where one of the other people just waiting there asks him what are you in for? And that's such a bizarre way to phrase that question it's not what are you here for or what happened to you are you okay like did someone get hurt like to ask what are you in for like kind of does imply that he's been committed or Mm -hmm. that he's a prisoner in some way and um it's just like little subtle lines like that throughout the whole movie that kind of 
imply something far more sinister that you don't really quite grasp until you get the whole picture. Yeah, my favorite of which was the I ain't no crazy because of the double negative. As a writer, it tingled my heart because (laughs) it's an admission of guilt. I am crazy. Yeah. If I ain't, no. (laughs) He's talking to the psychiatrist, I think, whenever he says that. Um, And that's, I think, whenever they're drugging him and all that maybe if i'm remembering right but they uh, right before that because yeah. he flips out and tries to get past the guards and then they hit him with the needle they hit him with the trank to calm his ass down he's yeah. just raging pretty hard yeah and they're like what i like about his rages throughout this film is as a dude who is not currently a dad but would love to be a dad pretty soon just whenever my wife wants me to be a dad <laughs> um like, I, I felt so much for that dude. Because it was like, if that was my daughter and you're telling me she's not in this fucking building, I'm, I don't give a shit about your security guard. I'm fucking that dude up. <laughs> I, it, it, bar none. I don't care. If you are a hospital security guard, I guarantee you I can beat your fucking ass. And, like, I felt that rage inside of that character as mm-hmm. he was going off on everybody. And he, he, he lost himself in this. I don't I don't want to fill out any more fucking paperwork. I don't... don't where is she? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it was such a genuine reaction from a father's perspective. Yeah, and they ask him if he wants to register his daughter as an organ donor, and he's like, that's not appropriate right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, and she's like, oh, would you reconsider? He's like, no, fucking move on, you know? Yeah, like, let me go see her. We have some questions. Do you have any history of mental or, you know, psychological disease, whatever the fuck? He goes, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and she tries to pry further, and he's like, can we get this fucking going? She's over there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I like... Two that I feel like in some way, because at this point in the movie, his wife is already dead. We don't know that. Um, But his wife is already dead, and his wife's character is almost kind of like the little devil on his shoulder throughout the movie. Yeah, Yeah, like she has something. Yeah, she has these cute little aside moments where there's a lot of tension in the movie, and they like because we kind of establish up front their marriage is falling apart, and they have these kind of cute connection moments where you're like, oh, maybe they'll work it out after this. This will make them closer, and they have these cute little conversations on the side where they're both kind of like, this place is fucking crazy, isn't it, you know? (laughs) But then when she wants something done, like, she's, like, basically yelling at him to speed around all these cars to get to the hospital in the first place. Another very cool scene. Mm -hmm. That dude drives, like, a badass. (laughs) Like, race car driving. Two shots of Jack Daniels. Put that dude on NASCAR. (laughs) (laughs) While a truck is speeding towards them head on. And then, uh, the registration nurse at the front desk is basically like, it's gonna be a while, and he comes to sit down and he's like, well, I checked this in. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? You want me to go kick the door down? And the wife's like, yeah, I'd like to see that, you know? And she's like, do something. Like, take care of this. And, like, she kind of becomes this little voice, like, in his ear yeah. that's like, get something done. Because he, whenever he's having moments of, like, trying to make decisions, we kind of get this muffled, like, flashback of his wife saying that to him. Like, several times in the movie. And, I don't know. Like, I appreciate that it's almost like the psychosis that he's having that's, like, lingering with him. Yeah. A guilty conscience type mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, and like he, whenever his wife has a headache and he's like, oh, you're probably dehydrated, he usually, or literally uses the words, like, I could fix that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's almost like this underlying, he knows that he's done something and he's, and he's like, I have to fix this. Like, I have to make yeah. this right. I've got a headache. No shit. You just <laughs> ate a face full of rebar. <laughs> 
I, I like too that whenever they're trying to arrest him, he's like, "Oh, I'm just confused. That's all." And it's like he literally is like legit confused about what's mm-hmm. going down, and he has no idea, like what he's done or where his family is or what the rest of the night's going to be like for yeah. him. And he wakes up with the band-aid and the little wound that never stops bleeding. Like when he gets angry, it kind mm-hmm. of pours out and it's not like a massive head wound that one would expect from a concussed patient that's been driven that far. It's the subtle little mark on his fucking head. Yeah. But that could be anything for the duration of this until the twist is revealed at the end. It could be a lobotomy scar for and all the fuck we know. He's ironically more scraped up, which knowing later on that his daughter is in fact dead, um, makes sense, I guess, because he's preserving this pristine memory of yeah. her, but uh, he's physically more scraped up than his daughter is. He's got these scratches and bruises on his cheek, and like his eye kind of looks a little blackened, and he's got the cut on his head, and his daughter outside of complaining of her arm hurting, doesn't look like she fell at all. Yeah. When, in fact, she cracked her skull open. <laughs> so it is kind of interesting, too, that he doesn't envision his daughter when he hallucinates her as being injured. Did they ever address the old scars? Old scars. Did I mix that up with lavender? No, you're thinking of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Brad Pitt's character had a bunch of scars on him. No, no, no. When they do his brain scan and they find that he's had a brain fracture before. Oh, you're thinking of Lavender, yeah. That's the okay. photographer. Never yeah. mind. He he turns down getting the scan. They ask him if he wants one and he says no. Okay. Um, well, last uh, breadcrumb, though, and this is definitely my favorite. I love the fact that at the beginning when his daughter falls and hurts her arm... And the wife is, like, standing there over the daughter, like, all freaked out. He looks at his daughter, and he's like, I'd never hurt you. And then he looks mm-hmm. up at his wife, and he's like, I would never hurt you. And there's, like, this sincere moment of them just kind of staring into each other's eyes. And they're both dead already at that point. Yeah. I mean, you don't find that out till later. But he's telling his dead family he would never hurt them. After and uh yeah, and uh, not super relevant to the things that I liked about this movie, but this character, because they are pretty complex, in-depth characters in general, especially this character, has already killed his previous wife and child before this family. Yeah. He had a pregnant wife who I... They don't establish if he had been drinking or not, that I recall, but he got in a car crash and killed his pregnant wife and unborn yeah. child. Which, even that little plug there uh, is a part of the dichotomy of the film because you don't know if he thinks that that's his previous wife like they muddied the waters that far down the line like you don't know if he's there in a psychiatric hospital for killing his first wife and baby or if he's actually killed his real wife and baby or if yeah and Two, the fact that they do the initial consultation where the check-in nurse is asking him all these questions and for some reason that gets brought up. Uh, I think it was like an insurance flub or whatever they, they, that he had a previous wife that had died. Like, It also creates a lot of confusion about whether or not the hospital staff is using these like snippets of knowledge they know about him to fuck with him because yeah. it is believable that a man who had so traumatically lost his first family who is a recovering alcoholic would still be dealing with these demons and struggling with maybe feeling guilty about that. And then you add a brain injury on top of that, that maybe he's confused and conflicted. And so maybe he does go into the hospital and accidentally asks for his dead wife instead of his current wife. And he's a little 
off, you know, and like them kind of using that private information against him does kind of make you wonder, are these people fucking with him? Is he confused? So I loved this fucking yeah. movie. Uh, but we can move to creating tension and confusion. That'll work. So you can contribute. <laughs> okay. So cold shots became warm. <laughs> well, you're the one who noticed it. Well, can I uh, talk about my one little interesting fact? Because I don't understand these notes. I, oh, okay. <laughs> I have no clue what's going on here. Yeah. Okay, cool. Because a lot of these are just quotes that I'm like trying to put together when they happened, and I feel like I'm missing the conversation. They can't all go well, T. It's okay. It's fine. Kristen's hungry. I'm drunk. It, 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 it'll work its way out in the end. Um, but what stuck out to me and what created this element of like hyper-realism on like four different levels of who am I to trust here is uh, what I pointed out pretty early on, I believe, during him talking to the nurses or in processing. And then again, as the shift change happened uh, with the nurses, was the Kafka-esque type scenario that is happening inside of this hospital where we you know Kristen's not as familiar um, with Mr. Franz as I may be but if, if, if you're curious who Kafka was he wrote the metamorphosis he wrote the trial um, and Kafka-esque thus uh, much the way you would say Orwellian to describe a certain type of dystopia uh, Kafka-esque is this like a bleak circular thinking um, where the ends justify the means but there is no end if that makes any sense like the, the, the best one I can come up with is the trial which starts out with this dude wakes up, there's cops in his house, he's being arrested they're not telling him why it's K now he's arrested <laughs> he's pulled into the system of defending himself against a crime that he's never told that he's committed or hasn't committed or if it was a crime he's just a part of the system now and the best version of Kafkaesque is a scene where he's standing in a line a very very fucking long line so that he can sign some papers to get to the back of the line and he does that for hours <laughs> And that's what I felt the shift change represented. He kept walking up to the desk and he was trying to get somewhere and he would get caught up in the bureaucracy until he forgot why the fuck he was there and he would wind up at the back of the line and be brought back in and he would go through the bureaucracy and be rejected and go back in. And then the shift change happens with the nursing station and now all of a sudden the nurses and doctors and everybody is rational and he's insane. Because he's just been grinded up in this system, you know, that's kind of going on. So I thought it was interesting. It was. I no, I, <laughs> I like, too, that it flows so, like, simultaneously with the color shift, which you were the one who pointed out when we were watching it. The, um, I'm a fan of cold shots in the whole first yeah. part of the movie. Um when him and his wife are fighting, when the accident happens, all of the stuff at the hospital initially. It's just a very blue, cold film, and it feels like very distant and very kind of hopeless, and you kind of feel... 
I guess, like, the struggle these characters are going through and all of the hospital staff are very peculiar, for sure. Not outright sinister, but just very strange. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, that's weird that they would act that way and that seems a little off and it's like weird they're that they're... detached, uninterested. Yeah, yeah, and weird that they're treating him the way that they're treating him and it does kind of make you feel like something's up. And then... His family goes off for his daughter to get scanned, and he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, you get this really cool angle where the camera's kind of slightly beneath him, and the ceiling above him almost looks like it's on fire. It's so much more yeah. red than it was before. And I don't know if the whole movie after that is all warmer, but the hospital for sure is definitely quite a bit warmer after that. And the hospital staff in general suddenly seem like much more welcoming. I mean, you do have the front check-in nurse who's like flirting with the person yeah. on the phone instead of, you know, rushing to help find the information that he wants, which honestly, I've worked with plenty of people that act that way. They're like, oh, sure, I'll help you with that. And then they go flirt with someone yeah. before they I've do. I've worked in dispatch offices where they put people on hold to continue gossiping. And it's like, you need to get back on the fucking phone. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that is realistic that average people would act that way in a situation like, oh, he picked up. Let me chat with him real quick. And then, oh, sorry, sir. What was it you needed? Yeah. Um, but the staff in general just seems more accommodating. They're like, we'll help you figure that out. And like, don't worry. And we'll get to the bottom of this and he is suddenly much more frustrated because I mean his family's missing so that that makes sense too in a way but it just makes his character seem like he's the one who's a little off mm -hmm. so I like that those shifts happen side by side because it's suddenly like everyone else seems normal and he no longer seems normal and you're like did he do something and it plays uh, right along with his exhaustion level so when he comes in he's rational they're tired now he's the complete opposite of chipper in the morning with my cup of coffee. You know, he's holding on for dear fucking life and the new nurses coming on are fresh and have no idea what he's been dealing with all fucking night. Mm. You know, so it just keeps, like, grabbing you by the throat and just ratcheting that shit up. <laughs> Let's roll. And I like to... I think it's after he wakes up. I could be wrong. Um, while he's sitting in the waiting room, we get this sense of, like, this being kind of a sinister place, so it forever keeps you kind of on your toes about who the real bad guy is. Yeah. Like, you have this weird conversation where it's just an old lady in the waiting room just knitting with her sewing needles, and that seems so innocent, but, like, there's this, like, slicing sound while she's doing it, almost like mm -hmm. they're knives, and this really, like, up-close shot of, like, the action of the sharp needles knitting together, and then this close-up of the clock seeming like it's ticking far too fast and like throughout the whole movie you get this kind of like muffled underwater sound of people talking like I don't know it kind of gives you the sense of like is this real or are these people here are they talking to me is this in my head gives it a sense of paranoia yeah man. so I, I, I don't know I just really appreciate like the constant like building and releasing of the tension throughout this movie and like you have moments where you're like oh this is where he catches him and then it's like ah oh, fuck maybe he's the bad guy but nope he's about to catch him yeah and like the fact that we introduce cops into this who don't immediately side with the hospital staff members who that was my favorite part the, and, they, and, they legitimize his side of the story somehow 
And arguably, I feel like in most situations, people would view the doctors and the nurses as the authority figure and mm-hmm. immediately write him off as the drunk or the crazy or the homeless dude or whatever. And the fact that the cops are like, well, let's figure this out. Like, let's get to the bottom of this and, like, actually spend a good chunk of the movie looking into the situation with him is pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, it legitimizes his side. Again, it asks the question, is he real? You know, not is he real, but is he sane or is he insane? Is the hospital what they think it is? The cop plays the reliable narrator somewhere in the middle of those two unreliable sides. Mm -hmm. And I was convinced whenever the cops came into the hospital, we were going to have this moment of like, oh, like he's telling the truth and they're about to get busted. And the staff seems so nervous by the cops, which kind of adds to that. And then they take him back to the crime scene and I'm like, oh, fuck, man, he is the bad guy. And then he steals the weapon and goes back to the hospital. I'm like, oh, he's on it. You know, he's he's (laughs) the good guy. You're rooting for him. And then you're like, bro, you can't just kidnap people and fucking... (laughs) It can't be it. You can't put, lock him up in a goddamn shipping container or whatever the fuck he locked him up in. I am so sad that he ended up being the bad guy. I mean, that's how it needed to end, but, like, yeah, the whole movie, I was like, you got this, you don't got this, no, really, you got this. <laughs> All right. You got anything else on it, love? Uh, just shot really well in general. Like, a lot of really uncomfortable close-ups and then... A lot of, like, lower angles and 45-degree angles and just a lot of really cool-looking shots in general. Um, your favorite in particular being when they're walking out of the, like, exam. The mirror room. shot? Yeah. The mirror shot was sick because it looked like they were being sucked into another fucking time dimension. I was like, And, like, his refusal to step over the red tape. You know, when they're going to the the point where he can no longer access, he doesn't even put his arm behind the red tape. He puts his toes right up against it. Like it, it creates this invisible boundary, and then we revisit it again with the mirror, where he's only able to get so far. I would be very curious, because there are so many shots like that, um, setting up his version of the story to see what actually happened. Like, where was he in reality during that scene? Like, was he just standing by himself in the hallway, like, hallucinating that that was happening? Like, had they just, like, bandaged his head and he had drifted out into the hall and was like, bye, wife, who's not there? (laughs) Like, I would be very curious to see... Like the quote-unquote surveillance footage. Yeah, yeah, like some kind of like flashback. or I mean, not that that needed to be in the movie, but like even just a behind-the-scenes of like what the hell he was doing while this shit was happening and what it looked like to everybody else. Because we get this moment where, um, for the reveal for the end, we get a flash of him. Like, he doesn't realize it himself. They're just kind of revealing it to the audience, him stealing a teenager off of a surgery table downstairs and because he thinks it's his daughter yeah 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 and um the nurses are like pushing carts that just have surgical tools on them instead of organ donation boxes so we get these like just brief flashes of like what it actually looked like so yeah i would just be curious to see what it looked like to the hospital staff while he was roaming around thinking his family was getting checked in yeah but yeah that's my 
And those angles. I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to go make my, my beautifully hungry wife some pizza. So... <laughs> This has I'm been sorry, a fun you didn't one. Enjoy this is the show. This, this has been a great episode. It's a great film. Go watch it. it it's awesome. I, I, it's not your fault, love. It, it, I promise you, it's not. I took notes. I know. I just don't know what they mean. <laughs> Normally, it's like big idea that I can talk about. One of these literally says, "What are you in for?" Ka Western Mark. I'm confused. Comma. That's all. I ain't no crazy. That's all the stuff characters it's said ca to him. It's quotes. Like I don't know how to pull from them. But you win some, you lose some. We lost some while they won some. Way to go, Fractured. You broke me. I don't know what to say about you outside of good goddamn job. Um, yeah. I'm going to go make pizza. I love you, sweetheart. Love you. Uh, you can find us over at youtube.com slash Kristen Pennington or youtube.com slash Nightmare Box Productions. Or you can send us an email over nightmareboxproductions at gmail or go on over there to the Facebook and you can uh, send us a message at facebook.com slash nightmareboxproductions or take pictures of you guys and your pizzas and post them at Instagram at, at nightmareboxproductions sneak on over there to the Twitter describe your pizza in 140 characters or less because I'm old school at nightmareboxpro or go to the website the uh, Up in the top right hand side you're going to see the dolls. Is the dolls still top right? Yeah. Yep. And you can find some uh, short stories and behind the scenes pictures and eventually I'll put out another uh, short story. Um, is that all of them? I think so, yeah. Okay. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love you guys. And we will talk to you on Saturday's our new day, right? Probably, yeah. Talk to you on Saturday. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.